0: welcome to the movies on the brain podcast i am one of your hosts brian c wood and with me this afternoon is my good friend and co-host chad Mix. welcome to another weird wild and wacky week in the world of genre movie news so chad wait 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 wait
1: Wait, wait. before we start i gotta do this we have at least for sure we have one new listener this week and should be going forward Uh, i have to embarrass my friend because we've been doing this podcast for how long
0: Five years.
1: I don't know it's longer than that. I know it's longer than that because Crappy Fantastic Four was in 2015, and I know and so we did that. Yeah, so we so it's been like this is like seven years somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So my friend John, uh, I'm saying his name so he can. Uh, this is going to be a test to see if he actually listens. He calls me last night and says, "Don't you have a podcast?" I'm like, "Yes." what's it about? Because my wife is asking. I'm like, it's about movies. How do you not know this? And then me and his wife pr- proceed to ridicule him for not knowing what I've been doing for seven years of my life. And a small defense of him, he had he listens to no podcast. So he has one podcast on his list right now, which is us. So once he hears this, he should call me and curse me out. So if he doesn't, I'm going to do this again and make his wife embarrass him.
0: Sounds like a plan. We're always happy to have new listeners on board, (laughs) especially ones who have suddenly realized that Chad does things for, you know, fun and has knowledge (laughs) of movies.
1: But he calls me for movies all the time. He's like, he literally said, uh, oh, I should just listen to that instead of calling you all the time.
0: Yes, man. Indeed. So Chad, big football game in front of millions of people. Your thoughts, sir, on the Super Bowl commercials and for us in particular on this podcast, which talks about movies, the movie trailers that debuted uh, during the Super Bowl. uh, Save the uh, Doctor Strange stuff that we'll get to in a moment.
1: So the trailers in general, I don't remember them, so that should tell you everything about them. But I vaguely remember a robot puppy um, but and I remember the, the screens
0: that wasn't even for a movie chat.
1: No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying the general ones. Uh, and I remember a a uh, QR code and as a screensaver. That's in general. Those all sucked. Uh, for the movies, I saw. So we're going to talk about Doctor Strange. I'd already seen Jurassic Park. Uh, I'd already seen. I think I've seen all of them ahead of time. The only one that I did not see was the, uh, not, and this is not even the movie either, it's the Lord of the Rings one. And I didn't even see that during the game. I watched it when I, I was looking at all these. So for what it's worth, um, those did the job. Because I'm, even though Jurassic Park had already came out, putting it on the, the stage of the, the Super Bowl, Gets more more eyes on it. Uh, we'll talk about Doctor Strange, but I think that that really jump started the the hype for that movie. And uh, Nope from Jordan Peele, I saw that before the Super Bowl, but I think it I think that's going to help this movie out. But you know, I'm a coward. I'm never going to see it. So y'all could tell me all about it. And the only other one, what? Is Moon Knight, which was very short, but it's the show starting next month. This is a good way to get some good pub for it. And it's the little bit we saw. It should be weird enough that people are intrigued. So I think I think the movie trailers, all in all, were actually good. They um, and they should have been for the money they paid for those spots. But the one that really grabbed my attention is the one we're going to talk about a little bit.
0: So if dinosaurs are let out by an autistic child into the wilderness and she feels a kinship with them, so she releases them instead of letting them die. That's kind of it, right? Like That's what I'm saying. They eventually breed and, you know, I cannot get over the fact that Colin Trevorrow immediately after the release of uh, Fallen Kingdom was like nah like there's not going to be a lot of like human versus dinosaur war or anything like that. They're just going to go peacefully into their nat- their uh, national forest and that'll be the that'll be the end of that. And it's like that's not how that would work at all. Did he
1: really say that? Mhm. There's no world in which that works
0: apparently in this one, because we again finally get back around to creating a dinosaur natural habitat. A national park specifically designated for dinosaurs somewhere in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Okay. So that's not quite what I got from the trailer, but if that's the case, that is incredibly stupid. What I got from the trailer was, you know, we let them out into the wild and just let them do their thing and thought that that was a good idea, which is essentially what you're saying. So they had a designated area, but they're dinosaurs. And that makes them the top of the food chain. Now there's no way dinosaurs and humans coexist. It's the end of the world for humanity. That's it. It's just a matter of enough of them populating earth to take us all out. That's what this movie is. It, That's the only way this movie ends. I don't care what they do. Whatever they do that does not end with the destruction of humanity is a lie fed to us to make us feel good about this movie because that's the only way this goes.
0: Well, Spielberg and his writing team said it in the original movie, right? Uh, Dinosaurs, uh, humans create dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherit the earth, right? Like, that's that's how this goes right god creates dinosaurs dinosaurs uh go extinct man creates dinosaurs dinosaurs eat man yep like that's how this works and the idea that they would just magically draw these distinct borders and be like oh there's human encampment over there i'm not going to go eat them
1: especially (laughs) like especially when you you have dinosaurs that live in the water and fly that it that's all it's all out there then and mind you how are you going to keep them all in what barrier are you building that's hundreds of feet hundreds of miles around hundreds of feet tall it's over it's over when you let the little girl let them go out into the world you do humanity that was the end
0: and it's like Explain to me, like, why Dr. Wong would not have been, you know, arrested immediately following any of these genetic experiments that he has performed over the course of the last two movies. Like, man just got in a plane with his little shaving cream can and walked away. And it's like, no, that's not how that would have worked.
1: No, unless he's a fugitive somewhere and hiding in some, like, I don't know, Russian lab somewhere. Yeah, that man's in jail. There's no other way about it.
0: Yeah, and like all of the other bad guys of these films over the course of the franchise have all ended up dying, going all the way back to like the lawyer dude getting eaten on the toilet. Like and Nidri getting blinded and stumbling to his death. Like the bad guys in these films always get eaten, except for the poor secretary who had to die an incredibly horrible death simply because she was doing what her boss told her to do and watch after the children. So why has Mr. Wong not suffered death?
1: Well, I mean, the humans are going to kill him if he's going to die in, in this movie series that has poetic dinosaur deaths. Sometimes. Uh, the dinosaurs got to kill him. He's got to die by his creations.
0: Poor Secretary did not deserve that.
1: No, no, and she we- did.
0: And, I, and we know that, that his creation is a giant-ass dinosaur that is seven times larger than anything that's ever been created.
1: Yeah, that one of those things has to kill him because, yes, he, he made a bad situation worse by giving us mutant dinosaurs, essentially. And it looks like we get more of those mutant dinosaurs, which is, again, humanity does not have a chance.
0: Again... I feel bad for the poor guy who has no luck in his life and the only job that he can afford to get is to be a longshoreman going out to the middle of the lake and feeding the giant dinosaur <laughs> in the boat that almost certainly always capsizes.
1: There's no, I don't think he's feeding that dinosaur. I think he's out there minding his business, doing his fishing thing, and the dinosaur is like, ooh, food, easy yank everybody in the boat dead
0: because that's how that would happen
1: that's exactly how that would happen
0: all right so let's move on from uh dinosaurs both mutant and otherwise <laughs> and the return of you know the uh the raptor who uh, who shot venom into uh Nedry's eyes and let's talk about your favorite thing time travel Ryan Reynolds has made a time travel movie, Chad. A time travel movie that breaks every law of physics and also is aired by Netflix. Your thoughts.
1: But how does it break every law of physics? Like, which time traveling laws are we going by?
0: Well, Chad, a younger version of himself shows up to see an older version of himself.
1: So, so. Yes. I
0: saw, a movie, I saw a movie called The Butterfly Effect that told me this would be very damaging.
1: See, I never saw that movie. But in most time travel movies, they, they typically tell you meeting your younger self is not what's supposed to happen. But it does happen in some instances of time travel. So it just depends on what the rules are. So I'm going to assume because there's this whole movie around it that their rules for this movie, don't break the universe. I don't know what those time travel rules are. It's going to be ridiculous no matter what they are because, again, time travel is a messy, messy thing. So moving, removing whatever time travel machinations they have from the situation, this movie looks like it could be fun. It looks like uh, I don't know how many people liked Disney's the kid. I liked it for what it was. It looks like that, like some Flight of the Navigator and whatever science fiction action you want to throw in there. So I heard about this movie and the trailer before I saw it. And I, was, and I was not seeking it out. I was like, I don't really care. It, it's, it's Ryan Reynolds. It'll be fine. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, this, this will probably be a fun time. I can probably watch it and be entertained and like kids of a certain age will probably really, really like this. So I think it's going to be a win. Now, if their time travel rules are stupid and they break them, then I'm out. You know, I'm out. You, and you know, I can't and t- take those things. But overall, I think this is going to be fun for generally families and um, pre-teens to early teenagers
0: yeah and my my thing is that i don't think ryan reynolds at this point is going to put out a crappy movie um and netflix is going to give him enough money to do this and it looks you, s- you said the kid which is the bruce willis uh movie from disney i i was thinking um i was thinking something more along the lines of xertha Zer- uh which i think is forever movie he did right before um right iron before man. he did iron man which which is basically you know space jumanji done correctly by the way honoring that movie honors the legacy of jumanji a hundred times better than anything the rock has done in two movies
1: i mean it's from the it's based on the same it's based on a book from the same guy that did that wrote jumanji so that makes sense but your grudge gets new jumanji just keeps coming through
0: New Jumanji, yes, we did not need new Jumanji, and I cannot wait for the female star of the original Jumanji to win an Academy Award in a month. That's yeah, going to make that's going to make me very happy. Um, so, Chad, like I, I, I thought that that was a good vibe, and I think that that's going to be an interesting story. Um, I'm looking forward to to what what they do with it. The Lord of the Rings stuff fascinates me because. You've recast Galadriel. You've t- taken the setting thousands of years before. You're keeping Sauron as, a, as the main villain in this time in the form we see him in in the prologue, in his physical form. Part of the problem, one of the reasons why the original trilogy, uh, or the fellow, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King, was considered unfilmable was because your main villain, for the majority of the time, is a giant flaming eyeball. And so, you know, unlike Ghostbusters part two, where that bit, you know, much like Ghostbusters part two, where your villain is literally two dimensional for three fourths of the film, um, that tends to be a screenwriting and visual problem. Now, Peter Jackson and Fran, uh, Peter and Fran and Penelope uh, Boykins all figured that out and cracked it and did a wonderful job and ended up winning multiple Oscars. But at the time it was considered a really difficult task. Here, you're bringing Sauron back. You're bringing Galadriel in. You're dealing with the creation, essentially, of the Ring of Power, and what leads to that giant battle of the Five-Arms, the the, the giant battle of Middle-Earth that happens in the prologue of the original Fellowship of the Ring. You're dealing with her backstory, which, you know, um, Tolkien doesn't give a full backstory for Galadriel, but did hint in subsequent materials that she was, at one time, a warrior, and that she was, quote-unquote, um, brash and, and that sort of thing, and they're picking up on that. I love the fact that they're doing a story that is basically, how does someone go from purposely desiring power for power's sake, and what they think they can do with it, which is essentially Barmir's story, and and um, you know, the, the kingdom story in, in the trilogy, and how do they go from, I need this ring, I want this ring, this power can help protect my community and and we can rule and be good leaders to I don't need it like I shouldn't have it I would be worse than what came after the worse than Sauron if I possess this ring do not tempt me with it I will give you safe haven and I will help you destroy it because it no longer needs to be here and how do you get maturity wise and age wise and experience wise from The brash arrogance of power, I need it, to being offered power and rejecting it even after being tempted with it. And that's the journey of literally a couple of thousand years in Galadriel's life that we're going to get a a chance to see. Now, the interesting thing that I'm uh, curious about is our friend Nathan Velasquez tweeted out a link that said that the the film and TV rights for Lord of the Rings are back up. And I was confused on that because I thought Amazon had secured those for like the next 20 years. I thought they paid a very hefty price to do so. Um, I'm I'm curious how that works, because if you're doing this series, you're looking for it to be the first of a few series, and you're spending motion picture trilogy level money Mm -hmm. on this television (laughs) show. So you really just buy the rights for like two years to make a TV show and then never get them again? It's very weird.
1: That's interesting. I hadn't heard that about the the rights coming back up already. But that did come, well, it's not in line, but I think yesterday Netflix announced their, their Lord of the Rings animated movie, I think it is, which struck yes, me. Be, which, is be, being,
0: which is being worked on by WADA and is very, has a huge hand in a lot of the same people who've worked in New Zealand on the, the films, both The Hobbit Trilogy and Lord of the Rings Trilogy.
1: Yeah, so I, I I thought that with Amazon's deal, they would have had the rights to all of Lord of the Rings for whatever the time of the deal was. But to see this come out and to hear um, what you said about the tweet Nathan had, I'm really curious how they work these deals and and what, what their plans are. Because, yeah, if Amazon is paying this much money for Lord of the Rings, I know they're expecting it to be a hit. I would think they would have secured it long enough to at least get two seasons out to see how, you know, people feel about it. And then re up if it's success, if it's the success that people think it would be, but for the rights to be up again, it's just really curious. And I bet there's some, um, I bet there's some, some language and some issues with not issues, but, the people that own the Lord of the Rings rights uh, probably are very specific with things and they want to keep it open because they don't want to run it into the ground. So I'm really curious the how they to handle it.
0: The Estate State's not easy to work with. Peter Jackson himself has said that. Um, they're very protective, obviously. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's interesting. Um, this is... Because, like, one of the great things about Tolkien's work is there's so much work to pull from. Like, it's not just the three books. It's not just The Hobbit. It's, there are appendices, there are maps, there are books, there's a whole, he wrote an entire book on the history of Middle-Earth. Just like a history book of Middle-Earth. Like, you know, like, there's tons of ancillary material to pull from that you can create stories on. That are based in Tolkien written things. It's not like doing a Godfather part four where, you know, Mario Puzo's been dead for what, 20, 15 years now, and you're all of a sudden gonna come up with an idea and a story for a fourth Godfather movie. Like, it doesn't work that way unless you're gonna base it off of something that's in the original novel or novels. Um, like, the, the fact is there's a lot of filmable, great stories in the appendices for all three books and through through the history of Middle-earth that you could mine for material. Yes, some of the things are vague and open into interpretation enough for you to kind of take some liberties, as they have with Galadriel. But I, as long as you do so in a respectful way, the Lord of the Rings fan base isn't one that's like, as toxic as say star wars so i mean i don't see them having an internet uh proposition uh declaration of independence about about a slight change to galadriel's character in, the, in a tv series
1: you're, you're more well-versed on all of the Lord of the ring stuff that i just i know the movies and actually i don't know the movies that well now because it's been about 15 years since I've seen it. So I'm really, I'm I'm leaning on the people that really know Lord of the Rings to decide what they think about what Amazon's doing and where they can go because they know the material way more than I ever will. So I'll watch it probably, but you guys are gonna tell me if it's good or if they're doing the right things with it.
0: I'm just excited to go back to Middle Earth and I'm excited to have a, a, a story that I'm interested in and I'm excited for the money that they're pouring into it. And I just, you know, The Hobbit did not need to be three movies. When Del Toro was on the project, he was planning on doing it in two movies and, and Peter Jackson had to step in in the wake of some financial disputes and bankruptcies and MGM going under and all the things. Like he had to step in and you can watch any of the documentaries on the making of the Hobbit trilogy he takes a lot of George Lucas like heat for that but the man didn't want to do it the man just didn't like they the studio had committed to making three more uh, making Hobbit movies they wanted them out and they didn't involve him in the script process while the Toro was working and then they basically had a bunch of set built sets built and they were like we need you to step in and do this and it he wrote himself into a corner they ran into production issues like, he was stressed out. You could tell the look of just... By the end of the... They had to stop production in the middle of the Battle of the Five Armies because they had to figure out what they wanted to do. Like, the man was literally a, a mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted by that process. Um, so I'm excited for new, fresh filmmakers and showrunners and actors to fill these roles and kind of bring these characters to life and to get... You know, another perspective of the age of uh, one of the other ages of the middle of Middle Earth. Um, I think that that the benefit that you have is you're playing a younger Galadriel. You're not being asked to follow in Cate Blanchett's footsteps. You're being asked to play a different version, a younger version of the character. So um, that'll take some of the pressure off, I think. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from there. But like. That's Labor Day weekend, I want to say and, eat, and a new episode drops every Monday or Tuesday. So it'll be interesting to finish, to coincide our fall with Lord of the Rings.
1: I didn't realize it was in September but we should, Monday or Tuesday is a good day because then it doesn't interfere with our normal whatever the hell comes on Disney Plus around those times.
0: Speaking of whatever comes around on Disney Plus sir, the book of Boba Fett was a thing. It was a thing that happened, and Bubba Fett is stupid, and Mando is stupid, and none of them passed a tactics class of any kind in any Mandalorian culture because clearly they both suck at battle tactics and relied on a small child to save a city that they don't care about.
1: I mean, there was some faulty uh, strategic logic going on there. I didn't really. I wasn't really paying attention to Mando so much as I was Boba Fett because it was his operation and yeah, the fact that he wasn't expecting the double cross, you know, you should have kind of been up on that Boba and then getting pinned down. Like they really should have been slaughtered and it's, you know, movie miracle that they weren't, they only lost the two, uh, I forget what they're called, but the, the uh, pigs, yes. yeah, the two pigs, the two gatekeeping pigs, they, they should have lost way more than that. And they got to, well, I mean, if nothing else, we got to see uh, Boba Fett ride a Rancor and tear up a couple of robots, which was, which it was also nice that when Boba Fett was knocked off the Rancor, that the Rancor was still a problem, a huge problem that almost killed Mando.
0: Why do you care? You clearly do not care about your city if you introduce a giant rancor that you have very little control over. And by the way, Chad, I do not recall ever seeing that man train with the rancor. All I got was a line of dialogue saying, I want to learn how to ride him. And Danny Trejo being like, cool, I will teach you. And then Bubba Fett walking away to go take care of some Bubba Fett crime lord business. And Danny Trejo going, don't worry, he'll be back. Like,
1: I mean, what did you think was happening when uh, we got the actual Mandalorian part of Boba Fett?
0: You That's have to he- make me see that. I have to see that in order to care. And also, Chad, explain to me why you have the high ground because you remember that you have jetpacks and then you can see the high ground to go to street level to meet the people with the guns. That makes no sense at all.
1: Okay. That one, that one I can defend a little bit. Uh, They went down because even though they're in the sky, they're out in the open. Now, should they have gone down to the street? Probably not. They probably should have stood on some rooftop and started picking them off. But that's, that's why they didn't stay up there. I get that part. Uh,
0: Why would you split up your gang? Why would you send them to different parts of the city to keep an eye on things? Like, why wouldn't you want all of your bodies in one place? That makes no sense. And then why, when you have a heavily fortified fortress on the edge of town, away from people, would you decide, nah, bro, I need to stay here and fight?
1: Okay, so the splitting the forces thing, again, that takes into consideration that they believe all the rest of the gangsters in the city were going to stay out of this conflict. So if you have all of your forces in a perimeter around the city, then you should see everybody coming, in and you shouldn't get jumped. Now, if say gangsters decide to double cross you all, that's out the window because now you, you have thinned your forces and they probably pick some of you off again, a little foresight by Mando could have used some of that there. Um, what's the other one? What was the other part? I actually, you know what? I'm not going to defend anymore. Was it a good strategic plan? No.
0: Did they live? Yes. Should they have lived? They should have yeah. gone to Java's palace. They should have gone to Java's palace and brought the fight out there because they were not trying to kill anyone other than Bubba Fett. So, and, and also, by the way, why did it take you till the end of this whole process to be in the middle of the battle to send your assassin to go kill a bunch of folks, the heads of the five families? Why did it take you that long? You should have done that originally, killed the heads of the five families and just taken over Michael Corleone style.
1: That was the old Boba Fett, the new Boba Fett that has like a more cold because he spent all the time with the Tuskins. He wants to be a nice, honorable, reasonable man. And he came to an agreement with those guys and they said they would stay out. So he had no beef with them. And, but, so, but to his credit, the minute he found out, that they did have beef with him, he decided, well, go ahead and take him out. Uh, there's no there's nothing else we can do because they just lied to my face. If we don't make it out, they ain't making it out. So I give him credit for that
0: one. Old oh, homeboy had his neck snapped. Like you literally hear his very long neck snap. <laughs> it's very disturbing. Oh, that was.
1: That the way he the way that alien is made is it, just really weird to me because it's like of all the deaths I would have thought he would have had, hanging would not be the one because it just seems like you wouldn't be able to hang him. His his neck's like a S. How do you get it?
0: Yeah, that's that was confusing to me too. But I heard like even on the captions, when you watch it, it says next neck snaps.
1: <laughs> wow, that's it, I mean, once it once it happens, okay, I'm, I I buy it, but it would just not be the way out of thought. Something like him would have done died.
0: It'll. It's just like, and then Cad Bane doesn't have issues with Bubba Fett as nearly as much as he does Finnick, but Bubba Fett is the one who takes quote unquote takes out Cad Bane. By the way, I have like they they did an extreme close up, and you could hear something ticking. Barely certain old homeboy, not dead. Because apparently no one dies in Star Wars now because there are both modifications and back-to-tanks.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just take a bath in the tank and you're going to be all good.
0: And why is his bath-to-tank being taken up with uh, Timothy Oliphant's sheriff from the Outer rent, the outer Territory when he promised Black Chrysanthemum that he would let him soak in the tub because, you know, the man nearly died for him.
1: Yeah, but he's still able to walk around. The sheriff is almost... The sheriff didn't show up because he, the marshal, didn't show up because he uh, was almost dead.
0: Yeah, because Cad Bang don't mess. <laughs> Except when it comes to Bubba Fett because he hit him directly in the goddamn armor.
1: Yeah... Uh, wait, so have you, you seen Cad Bane and the other shows and stuff? Yes. Okay, so I never have. So you can you're I don't understand who he has beef with. Just listening to him talk, it sounds like he had a pass with Boba Fett, but I don't really know who he, he does with- not like.
0: He had a pass with Boba Fett. He had a pass with Jango Fett. He has a pass with uh, with um, oh, uh, Nye Wynn's character. Um, Fennec? Fennec Sand. He has he has history with her, a lot of history with her in Rebels and Clone Wars. Um, again, all of that stuff is basically Filoni taking his little corner of the universe that up until the last five years has strictly been animated and only for Star Wars nerds. He's taking that and putting it into this live-action format. So whether it be in The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, or Ahsoka, or any of those other series, what you're going to see and I expect this will continue with Obi-Wan when we get that in May, is you're going to see Clone Wars and Rebels characters and storylines being picked up and brought forward into live action. Um, Like, him and Phoenix Sand, Bane and Phoenix Sand had a huge confrontation in Rebels, and, like, she nearly nearly, uh, died. And the only way that she got around it was by, like, Start, you know basically preventing Cadbane's ship from you know being able to move and so she hit light speed and she sped away from it basically is how he she got away from him the last time um you know Cad Bane knew Bubba fett from the time he was a young clone he knew Django like they have a huge history but again that's history you don't know unless you've watched these five episodes of this arc in clone Wars season two or four or whatever. And like, that's part of my issue I'm gaining with Star Wars television is whereas with Marvel, people as a whole generally know who Falcon is, for example, or who who Wanda Maximoff is or who Vision is or who Loki is. Like they have an understanding because those people have been in big movies that made millions of dollars that they've seen. Like they may Mm -hmm. not know everything about Wanda, but they know who she is because they saw Infinity War in Endgame. Um, like, that's not the same with the Star Wars TV shows. Like, there's a reason Cartoon Network eventually ended Clone Wars. There's a reason Rebels only last three seasons on Disney Channel on Disney Channel. Like it, like, there's specific Star Wars things for Star Wars people. And that's different from the broad coalition of people who see. Marvel movies and so my problem is I think they're going to eventually just run into preaching to the choir moments where they're just feeding the small corner of the internet what it wants so that they can stay happy and therefore not really expanding the universe, quote unquote.
1: That is an issue like, like for me, I know that all these things happened in Clone Wars and Rebels and I haven't gotten around to watching those things. So when someone, like when campaign first showed up, I was like, oh, this dude looks cool. I didn't know anything about him. And then I went, you know, to, to Twitter and saw people excited to see him. And then I learned a little bit about him. I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me because for me, I put it upon, upon myself that I didn't go out and watch those things. But, yes, if you want to make the expand the universe and make it more inclusive it including people that were in like the the cartoons and whatnot can kind of feel like you're restricting the world but i can't really i can't really go with that all the way because as a comic book person all these movies are constantly throwing people in that if you don't read the comics you don't know anything about now they at that point most of the movies you're getting introduced to these people for the first time. And then once they're introduced there, they get a whole new, um, they get a whole new story in the movie. So it's a little different, but I can see where people that are Star Wars, that have been following everything Star Wars are like, we watched all the stuff. So we should, we, we feel like this is a good way for us. If you want to learn more, there's a way to find out stuff. You can go ahead and watch those things. But by the same token, a lot of Star Wars fans are gatekeepers and they don't like to let people in the gate. So it's it's a tough spot with them and how those characters can be introduced to the TV shows, which are certainly have a broader audience than the cartoons.
0: So I'll give you a good example like we just got done with hawkeye right back in december um they introduced they 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 make my girl uh linda carlini from freaks and geeks they make they re- make the big reveal the watch was hers and that she is what mocking jay i think is the code name for the agent
1: it, like, they never really said but it's, it's heavily implied that it's mockingbird mockingbird
0: okay that that makes sense right but that's a deep cut that only references things that people who have a deep knowledge of the comic books would know, right? But that doesn't affect or impact the way that you look at or enjoy the story of Hawkeye. Same thing with Jack Duquesne. Jack Duquesne is swordsman in the comics. Like, they loosely adapt some of that, but they don't take it beat for beat from the comics. But unless you're a a deep comic Marvel Comics nerd, you're not going to know that that's swordsman or that he goes on to do x y or z thing or that he was Mar- he was a uh, hawkeye's mentor in one of the comic book runs or anything like that um it doesn't add to or detract from your ability to enjoy openly enjoy the series they're going to make an ahsoka series that is based around her issues with Thrawn, and that's what it's going to be about And Ahsoka's history with Thrawn, just like Bo-Katan's history with the Black Saber, is all stuff from Clone Wars and Rebels. Like, if you haven't seen those, and we're picking up with these storylines where we left them off in Rebels, because that's what he's doing. He's not reintroducing them and starting them over and playing them out on live action. Like, you know, Marvel's taking... The idea of age of ultron and putting it on screen no no he's continuing storylines from clone wars and rebels in their entirety and putting them into live action so if you haven't seen rebels or you haven't seen clone wars and you don't know all of the history for a, a great line in the uh, the episode six of, of the mantle of uh book of boba fett where ahsoka's like i'm a friend of the family You don't know what that means unless you're like you know that she and anakin skywalker were padawan and master and that whole deal. like when you're lifting entire plot lines and picking them up right where they left off in animation in live action there's a disconnect there if you don't know where the storyline started it's like picking up a book in the middle in the middle instead of at the beginning and that's my concern with with what Colony's doing with
1: a lot of this live action stuff. Yeah, that, that's what I was saying. It's different than the comic book stuff because these are ongoing stories. Like in comics, they're pulling the reference material. Here, they're continuing stories that have existed elsewhere. And that's where the, the problem is. Now, I mean, like, so for Ahsoka, they, when they brought her in, they didn't tell us any of her history. We we're we kind of piece together where she's supposed to be, based on what we've known from other materials. But if you've never seen Ahsoka before, it doesn't re- it doesn't take away from her because you understand that you know she's a Jedi. You understand that when you see lightsabers, and then the idea is that you would go out and learn more uh, to to like supplement what you're seeing. Like with Cad Bane, because we're dealing with Star Wars, and there's a bunch of always a bunch of cool aliens, and people are making different versions of aliens all the time to put in these shows. Like somebody like me, I just thought it was a cool looking alien. I never thought to to look any further. So that like that's where that that's where the disconnect comes in, and that's where in crafting these stories they have to be. I don't want to say careful but they need to they have to craft them in a way to bring casual viewers in that they don't miss anything in the story that's going on right now, but also paying off and staying true to the stories that have already developed and that's a that can be a difficult thing, especially with so many moving parts because Star Wars, everything we've gotten so far is splintered across. Uh, most of it takes place, you know, during the Skywalker time, but it's splintered. Some of it's taking place right after Jedi. Some of it's taking place um, before, I forget, before uh, other ones. But they're taking place between movies and we in have...
0: the Like, for example, Rogue One and Solo take place before New Hope, between three and four. Uh-huh. And most of the Disney Plus stuff that we've gotten, all the Disney Plus stuff that we've gotten, takes place post-Jedi. Yes. so um you know and then of course you you get eventually will catch up assuming at some point to the time of the rise of the first order um but like that's just a, a legit concern that i have is that this this puppet master poloni is getting praise and adulation from the fanboys for taking the things that only they know and making them live action and forcing a mainstream audience to kind of figure it out and and that's just for me that's not a recipe for growing and expanding the fan base or or expanding the lure because like i'm 100 percent convinced now that when we get the obi-wan series in may that there are going to be elements of obi-wan's story from rebels and clone wars and characters that he's interacted with in those animated series in obi-wan and we're going to have to know that him and Darth Maul had another couple of battles after what we saw in the Phantom Menace that we need, we're going to have to know about, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And I'm concerned that that's going to kind of alienate or just limit the enjoyment for some people.
1: If they do it in a way again, that can service the story and not leave people out. I think they're fine. And for the most part, I think they've done it. Cabane was the Cabane was the one for me, just because I had no idea. And then, but then maybe that speaks to kind of still kind of speaks to it because I know enough about the stuff that I knew who Ahsoka was. I knew who um, um, Katie Sackhoff's character uh, that showed up oh, in Mandalorian, Bo man. Katan. I knew who she was. I don't really, I didn't really know anything about her, but I knew who she was. So, um, so campaign is like one that I just had no idea about, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. So I'm not the best judge of this stuff. But again, I think if you can just, if you can stay within that story, new, new viewers come in and understand what's going on in the new story, they'll be fine.
0: Indeed. So, Chad, let's move on from the Star Wars Disney stuff to Marvel changing the whole landscape of the entirety of the MCU by subtly or not so subtly referencing the Illuminati. Chad, we got the TVA and the Time Lords who were actually robots. But maybe, just maybe, they were not the overlords. Maybe the Illuminati are
1: all right so this is all in a dr strange trailer and i have to be completely honest with everybody as the comic book guy i know i have an idea of who the marvel illuminati is well more than an idea i've seen the marvel illuminati when they were first introduced in the comics the marvel illuminati was a collection of of a collection of heroes that came together and you find out that they have secretly been deciding things about the Marvel Universe for years and not telling everybody on their respective teams. Off the top of my head, the Illuminati members were Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, Tony Stark Iron Man, Charles Xavier, Black Bolt, Namor, and I want to say Hank Pym. I think that is all of them. I could be missing some so when i was when the little bit i know about them they it wasn't like this big extravagant underground organization it was just a secret cabal of those men and they like they met random i don't want to say random places because all these dudes got money but they met made decisions for the marvel universe and kind of went about their business so for me to see everybody talking about this, we're getting the Illuminati and Dr. Strange, and then the trailer shows this big elaborate kind of labyrinth of a place, and Strange being brought in front of a board, people are calling that the Illuminati. What I know the Illuminati does not fit that, but the Illuminati came has been around for a while now, and they've done other things, except for the things that I, besides the things that I know, So that could very well be the truth. I just have a hard time thinking that it is the Illuminati based on what we saw. And then we get to the fact that if it is the Illuminati, that means you're bringing in a Reed Richards, a Charles Xavier, a Namor, a, oh, Dr. Strange was part of the Illuminati too, Um, a Hank Pym, and we're dealing with a movie called The Multiverse of Madness. It would be, they would be, it seems like they would be spanning different multiverses, which, as far as I know, the Comic Illuminati did not do. So I understand everybody wants that to be the thing. I don't really know if it is the thing, but then I could be completely wrong. And the Illuminati could have morphed into an organization that is similar to what everybody wants. That
0: was a bald headed man very clearly with a British accent, saying that he thinks it's time to tell him the truth, that they should tell him the truth. And that is just supposed with the robots leading Strange up the stairs in this big elaborate hall with the board and it all looking very similar to things that we saw in Loki with the TVA, but yet somehow different. And it looking and sounding very much like Patrick Stewart's Professor Xavier, and that is what immediately draws people to the Illuminati discussion. Um, how you square the Illuminati with um, how you square the Illuminati with uh, the TVA? Um, how you square him with King the Conqueror? Um, I don't really know. Um, I know that the multiverse was originally first introduced in the MCU by the Ancient One in Dr. Strange, who makes references to the multiverse, and that there are worlds and timelines that, uh, that, that Strange has no conception of, and dangers that that Strange has no conception of. Um, this movie seems to very much be about a reckoning for what happened in, in, in No Way Home. Um, I just the, that was the conclude the only conclusion I could draw from what I saw on Monday, Sunday night was they're bringing the Illuminati in.
1: I should have looked up more on the Illuminati, but I okay, after this past they, year with Marvel and. they've been, and, they, they,
0: that- they've, been rumored, they've been rumored to do Neymar for a while. Remember the the under the sea earthquakes. They're referenced in Endgame. Um, you've got a Hank Pym. You've got a uh, you, you've got a Hank Pym. You've got a Doctor Strange. You've got a uh, you will have to have had a or will have a Reed Richards because you're doing a Fantastic Four movie. Um, you have some of the pieces in place.
1: Well What people get excited about with Illuminati especially with the multiverses thinking of different versions of characters that we've already seen being a part of the Illuminati. So they can bring in a Reed Richards, but it doesn't have to be the new Reed Richards, whoever that's going to be. It could be, you can bring in, uh, I don't think you would bring in, um, um, what's COVID boy's name that's friends with Aaron Rogers. I don't think you would bring him in. Miles, Miles. Teller. Yeah. I don't think you would bring him in.
0: Because Miles Teller and Cheyenne Woodley did a bunch of movies together, and they're friends. And then Rogers is married to, to Cheyenne yeah, Woodley.
1: Yeah, so I don't think you bring him in, but you could bring in a uh, uh, Griffith. I, I know I'm saying his name wrong from the first Fantastic Four movie. Uh, then you have the Patrick, the Patrick Stewart thing, and there's also we might as well say the rumors of. Uh, a Tom Cruise Iron Man. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. My my whole thing, especially after the last year, is when Marvel presents something to you and you don't fully know what it is. Always be prepared to get swerved, because last year, right around this time, we were all going nuts because Evan Peters' Quicksilver showed up in Wandavision, and we go we. Go on to learn that it's not a multiversal quicksilver. It he is just a character. he was just a dude that got Ralph taken Bonner. over. Yeah, yeah, boner got Ralph taken over Bonner. to uh to influence Wanda in uh, in uh Agatha's plot the whole time. So that trailer very, very clearly was trying to allude that this character is. Professor Xavier, and it's, it sure sounds like Patrick Stewart. However, I would not be surprised if they pissed everybody off and brought in Patrick Stewart and be like, he's somebody else. I don't know if I would, if I was them, I don't know if I would pull that that trick twice in the same year, but if anybody can do it, it is Marvel. And if they did it, they would have to, they would have to have some other things in that movie that would make fans forgive them for the the trick, the treachery, because it would be borderline treachery at that point of faking us out with a Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. But I say all this, and then oh and then two months from now, we get a final trailer and they actually show us Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. And I can be like, well, I was wrong, but that's just where I'm at right now with it.
0: The other part of it, too, Chad, is you've now entered the full multiverse. Like prior, like when WandaVision was being created and conceived and released, like they've, I, I've heard uh, Jack Schaefer and several others talk on on WandaVision, and they've all expressly said that they were taken aback by uh, the reaction to the to the Ralph Boner thing that they did not anticipate the wild ass theories. And, and they also pointed to, um, they pointed to Bethany's tweet about, or talk, uh, quote about the, you know, an adventure being the finale and how that spiraled out of control. And the same thing with the astrophysicist, like the creatives behind the show have said they did not expect and were taken aback by um the fan theories and and just how far that got out of hand. Um, Now you're dealing with the fact that we're the third highest grossing movie of all time is a movie that is very blatantly brings in the multiverse. It, you know, has two other Spider-Man and five other villains from previous Spider-Man movies and involves Dr. Strange. And so the whole movie is the, the title of the movie is the multiverse of madness and like strange is the whole movie is about strange bearing the burden and the responsibility for what happened in no way home so it makes perfect sense they wouldn't they would that we would finally be fully in the multiverse and we also add in the fact that tom heddlestein is in this movie so you continue on some of the things that you did from loki um it just kind of makes sense that you would be fully in the multiverse it wouldn't be a uh, Lucy and the football situation this time. I do, however, agree that, like, you can never trust a Marvel trailer. Ever. Ever.
1: But uh, other than the Illuminati stuff, I thought that trailer was uh, fascinating. I thought visually it looked very interesting and it built upon the things that we got from the previous Doctor Strange movie, like that shot of him and his face is coming apart in little cubes. That was a cool shot. Um, all in all, for a character that I really want nothing to do with in comic books, I really, really like Doctor Strange in these movies. So I'm really excited for this movie and all the weirdness that it's going to bring. And also, uh, they had they gave Wanda a moment in the trailer
0: with... The heel turn. Like, Is it a heel turn? I mean, it, it could be. It's a, it's a tease for a heel turn. break the rules and you're a hero i break the rules and i'm a villain seems kind of like a double standard to me
1: yeah i mean and the best heels have that kind of logic it's like he did this he's and and you cheer him i do this you're booing me so it's your fault that i'm about to do this to him so I, i can see where you would say it's a heel turn i don't think it will be there really is no. I would say there's not a need to turn Wanda heel because if you turn Wanda heel, that's a whole lot of problems. And I don't, they're, Marvel's building up a whole bunch of different things. And I don't think just one thing. So I don't think they want to add on top of that with Wanda right now.
0: It's just going to be interesting. The America for the, uh, the America Ferreira stuff. Uh, America, you know, That's Chavez, also
1: interesting. I think.
0: Chavez, Is it? Yeah. It, that she, uh, her popping up the trailer and being prominent, I'm glad Marvel's not hiding certain aspects of this movie, but hiding others. It's just, you never quite know when they hand you something, what you can believe and what you can't.
1: Yeah. Um, let's not forget, we just came off of Spider-Man, where we've seen trailers that clearly, wait, spoiler alert for Spider-Man, because I know some people still haven't seen it. We get trailers and they clearly take people out of those trailers. And then when you see the movie, it's completely different. So I would not be surprised if we got something similar from this Doctor Strange trailer.
0: Indeed. So Chad in our native Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a national treasure Disney Plus series is filmmaking. Your thoughts, sir on Baton Rouge finally landing another major film production.
1: I mean, good for the city. The the first time I saw the announcement was actually from uh the Twitter account of Mayor Sharon Weston-Broom where she said that the, the, the show was going to be shooting in Baton Rouge. And I was like, well, good for them. Now, I think that that is a win for the city, especially coming off the times, you know, like right around the time we started the podcast when everything was shooting in Baton Rouge. And that kind of dried up when tax credits and whatnot happened. But for them to get a show back, I think that is... Good for them. It's always, you know, it's always a little feathers, a little thing you can advertise that we we, we're doing these kind of we're having these kind of things take place in our city. So I think that's good for them. I really don't know much about the show in general, besides I don't think Nicolas Cage is in it. And I know Catherine Zeta-Jones is. But if they can find a way to capture the spirit of National Treasure, which was in in effect capturing the spirit of Indiana Jones just with Nicholas cage in the place of Indiana Jones then good for them i think that i think it'll work and i think people will go and gravitate to it they seem to be doing the i would say the the right thing in quotes by having a younger cast it seems to be a diverse cast so that's another appealing part of it you know skew this taking a known ip and skew, try to skew the audience younger. Hopefully that pay, plays out for them, especially since it's going to be contributing to Baton Rouge.
0: Indeed. Um, and also I'm just very glad and very thankful we're finally in a place where, uh, finally in a place where Celtic Studios is being used for something other, other than storage, storage and office space
1: man, I forgot about that place. It, that thing used to be jumping and then just died.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, um, oddly enough, there are some special effects houses and um, some commercial companies and things that, um, commercial production companies and things that have built, had offices in that complex. Um, Waiter of all things has an off- their main office in that complex, but like it's not being used nearly, for what it was built and designed for, which is to house multiple productions at one time. And I'm hopeful that this will be a stepping stone toward more things, uh, choosing choosing to film in, in Louisiana and specifically in Baton Rouge. Amen to that. All right, so, um, Chad, the Oscars, they are coming. And they are coming with some changes. One of them being a Twitter vote, the other being my favorite African American comedian of all of the times, aside from Richard Pryor, Wanda Sykes, getting to host an hour of the Oscars. I cannot wait.
1: Is it going to just be an hour? Are they yeah, really trying?
0: It's a three act structure, so they're trying to do one host for each hour.
1: When's the last time it actually stuck three hours?
0: I mean the hostless oscars moved pretty fast i think one of the hostless shows ran two hours 45 minutes actually
1: okay okay well if they can keep that pace up good um overall i i like it because i like at least two of these ladies very much and one i don't really have an opinion on so i i really like wanda sykes and i really like Regina Hall. I'm really, I'm really thrilled and over the moon that Regina Hall is getting this opportunity because I think she is underrated. A lot of people don't value her as hell, as an actress, let alone as a comedic actress. So it will be nice to see her get this opportunity to shine. And, you know, Amy Schumer, people have opinions of her. I really don't. I've only I've seen um what's that movie with uh with LeBron in it, uh, Trainwreck. I've seen Trainwreck. I liked it. I liked her in it. That's kind of the only thing I've seen her in, so I have no other opinion besides that. So, so, But she is a comedian, so I would assume she should be able to manage the hosting gig just fine. And, you know, it's, it's something different. It addresses the diversity issue of the Oscars, because, you know, you have two Black women, one... Uh, one lesbian woman uh, and just a white woman. So you kind of cover a whole bunch of bases and hopefully it makes the show flow and, it and people might be intrigued to like check it out because Lord knows they're not going to be intrigued because of the movies that are not paid. So they, the Oscars are trying something. They're giving some people a chance that I didn't think I didn't even think about, but I'm glad that they are. So I'm, Curious to see how it all works out and and what we learn from this year's experience.
0: So a couple of things here. One, this has the look and feel to me very much of a coaching search in the sense that um, while an AD gets up at a podium at the end of the coaching search and said, this is the only guy we ever talked to. This is our guy. This is, this is the guy we extended our contract to. This is, this has always been our dude. And in reality, you know that they went and interviewed and talked to 15 different people and finally settled on this one guy. There were reports flowing all weekend long last weekend of people that they were calling and talking to, including John Hamm and others, and deals falling apart and people turning them down. Uh, That was part of the issue that happened um, in the wake of the Kevin Hart issue a couple of years ago, which led to our first hostless Oscars where literally they kept asking people and they kept getting turned down. Um, So I think there's an element here of them trying to find a structure, but also them like having coming to this conclusion of these three women after plan, when when it's plan E, not plan A. You know what I'm saying? And I think that there's a disappointment for me in that the fan vote, I don't even know if they're actually going to give them a statue or not, but I think it's just something to help boost the inter- interactive activity on awards night which again if you don't have people viewing like how are they going to be in- actively you know involved one of the great things about sports twitter is the fact that people are actively tweeting and reacting while games are going on right mm-hmm. like people do that for television so game of thrones thrived on twitter activity while they were they were on uh, euphoria does the same thing now um people have to be watching in order to talk about you. Look at the Super Bowl this past weekend. Like you have to be on, and people have to be watching you in order to talk about you. If not, you're never going to trend above 5. So like you know, I know you got on to me at one point about like making jokes about Falcon and Winter Soldier never trending above like 8 <laughs> on Twitter cuz like Twitter is a very mm-hmm. collectively Twitter is a very small portion of the of the population but like it's a huge social media presence and if you don't have people watching and then the people aren't watching the people aren't tweeting the people are engaged and the, this thing kind of backfires so that's that's my concern there
1: yeah i don't know they're they're just in a, a tough spot all around the the, the fan vote thing i'm I don't see there being a way that they give them an actual statue. They just want to recognize, they want to wait a point and say, look, we recognize your popular movies. Now leave us alone. And that's their prerogative. Fine. Whatever. It's not going to change people's perception about what the awards are or, or not. Uh, the only when the only thing that's going to change that is by actually watching the awards. So the host thing, I think, I see where they're going with that. I don't think any of these three women are enough to move the needle to like save them, but I do think it's a step to getting the show to feel hopefully to feel more entertaining along with more streamlined. but i don't I don't know they, they're clearly trying they're trying to change things. they're trying to change their perception on a, on several fronts. the diversity front, you know. As much as I'm going to say that they did great this, I mean, this year looks better. That's always going to be a year to year thing. So doing things like the host helps to hope in their eyes, change that image, the movie, the, the movie thing with this, this fan vote, I'm really curious to see how it turns out. Um, I mean, it, it seems to be just like a, a random thing. You can just go ahead and vote as much as you want, how they present it. What's the presentation like for the award show? Do they keep that tally running through the whole show to maybe get people to watch that way? That would be, I think that would at least draw some people to it. But at the end of the day, people are still gonna be like, this is just, you know, this is our consolation prize for the movie that people actually went to see as opposed to all these movies that we've never heard of. And until they can change that thing about not having any movies people have never heard of we'll, we'll still be back here next year talking about oh look they've got they've done this for the hosts to try to boost the ratings again
0: they want to be March Madness right that's that's the idea like your grandma Pearl in Wichita, Kansas doesn't have to know very much or have seen very many college basketball games to fill out a ma- match, a March Madness bracket right like and in most cases, those those people who pick teams based on team colors or because they had a cousin go there or something, and not based on any actual analytic data or information about the team, are the ones that end up winning those um, those bracket contests. That's kind of what the academy is trying to get to, where they can be where they can be socially conscious. And publicly aware enough to where you don't really have to necessarily have seen all the movies. You just kind of have to know a little something about each one. And you know, I think that that's kind of where they're trying to push things. So it'll be interesting to see if if any of these changes help and what the postmortem on the show is and, and what the because they meet they meet a month after the show every year to evaluate the ratings and everything. So it, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that meeting in uh, in, my, in May.
1: Especially there's not any growth.
0: Uh, well, it has to be growth. There's nowhere to go but up after last year.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. They, they still can. There's still some more bottoming out. They can do.
0: Uh, and Chad is, is her show anywhere on streaming? The old show. Who show? Wanda Sykes. Oh, that's remember, a good. And that is a good she, question. Remember, she did a, a show that was very similar to Ellen and Norm, where it was just a comedian in a workplace comedy. Um, And she brought it back and had a new one recently, like within the last two years. Um, But I don't know if the older one is on streaming anywhere.
1: So it looks to be on Amazon Prime. No, it's not.
0: I would highly, if it is available somewhere where you can get to it, I encourage anybody and everybody to check out both Norm and Wanda Sykes, the Wanda Sykes show. because both were really, really funny at the time in the early 2000s and both failed to find an audience uh, the way that they should have, but, but I'm really excited that people are gonna get to get reintroduced to Wanda Sykes at the Oscars. That's, that, that makes me almost as happy as having um, Kristen Wiig and um, Maya, uh, Maya Rudolph doing the entire show uh, as Barbara and Star, which would have just made me late. Uh,
1: it is not streaming anywhere.
0: Well, that's unfortunate. Okay, Chad. Um, before we, we talk about your glorious DC hobby horse um, let's take a moment to reflect on the passing of another Hollywood legend uh, directing legend Ivan Reitman son of uh, Jason Reitman who father, just father of, of Jason Reitman who, um, who just ended up doing the Ghostbusters movie and Ivan produced it and they worked together hand in hand on that, that set every day um, passed away slowly. Uh, passed away suddenly in his sleep on Saturday night. Um, your thoughts, sir, on his directing, uh, his directing uh, credits, his impact on comedy in the 1970s and 80s, and in uh, the legacy that he leaves behind.
1: I think the first, looking at his uh, his his filmography, I would think the first movie I actually saw of Ivan Wright was actually Twins, and Twins with uh, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's that movie kind of is the vibe of the movies that I've seen of Ivan Reitman. I didn't really... So he he started with meatballs and he had stripes. I didn't really see those. I know a lot of people like those, and uh, that's where a lot of the, the Ghostbusters people come from. But I didn't see those. And I saw Ghostbusters, but I'm pretty... I saw Ghostbusters... Late, I might have actually seen Ghostbusters 2 before. I so, I know I saw Ghostbusters 2 before I saw one, and I might have seen Ghostbusters 2 before I saw twins. But when looking at his filmography, what I will remember for i write written it are these two Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Twins and Kindergarten Cop, because those were two that my mother loved. So, at the age I was when those came out, I was like eight, between eight and 11, I think, for both of those movies. She liked those, so I was stuck watching what she watched. And she loved watching those movies. And I like those movies now, just because when we think of Arnold, we typically don't think of comedy first. But he was great in these two comedies, particularly Kindergarten Cop. The fact that you have Arnold juxtaposed with all these kids through the whole movie. And then as an adult, realizing how difficult it must be to work with kid actors, and he had a whole classroom full of them. It's just remarkable and then you think about Ivan in that position where he is the director and he has to manage all of this madness with these kids and you've got at that time one of the biggest movie stars in the world making a a comedy that he is not really known for uh, and that movie I think that movie is timeless it's one of those that I can put on it anytime and I, I will always enjoy. So, and he, a few of the ones I wrote down after that, he did Dave and Junior and Evolution. Uh, Evolution is a thing over, I'll just put over here, but those kind of comedies with Arnold are the ones that I really think about. I know most people are going to go straight to Ghostbusters, and those are iconic and always memorable. And I, he he managed what I would assume would have been um a madhouse considering the the four leads you have, particularly the uh Aykroyd, Murray, and and Ramus. And he they still made a functioning movie out of the first one. The second one, your mileage may vary, but he kept that train moving to get to the point where we had where we're still talking about Ghostbusters today. So that's the mark of a good director that that he has movies that are still standing the test of time in various ways. And even though they might be comedies, they're still very different kind of comedies and he still pulled it all off. So that's, that's, those are my movie thoughts when I think of Ivan Reitman and it's, it's a shame that we've lost him, but you know, these are the things we still have of him
0: very happy that he got to work hand in hand with his son and that he blessed his son's effort to uh, to bring the Ghostbusters community back to life and to bring Harold Ramis back to life in Afterlife, a movie that I'm just a huge fan of and think was done really well. It's one of the best times I've had in the movie theater since uh, Endgame, just because it, it I'm such a big fan of that franchise and it just put me completely in my feels and also set things up for a coming generation. Um, Stripes. Launches Bill Murray. Um, Stripes also launches, um, you know, Stripes launches Bill Murray, as does uh, you know a few of the other movies that he did uh, with that that pack of of actors. Um, he defined what comedy was along, and he worked hand in hand with Ramus who also directed some of the best movies of the '70s and '80s, comedy wise. They all came from that second city uh, era of the comedy that that sparked the original generation of Saturday Night Live. Um, and he kept making really good, really fun, interesting movies. And his son picked that torch up and has made movies as diverse and interesting as Tully and Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, um, you know, he's he's always gonna be remembered and, and have that legacy of being someone who brought many laughs and and many joys to many people. And I'm glad that he, he left that mark on the world. And I'm glad that he gave us Orlando Jones uh, at the height of his comedic powers, having to have things cut out.
1: I've I've only seen that movie once and it's-
0: It's Ghostbusters for the 21st century. Like when none of us thought we were gonna get another Ghostbusters movie. There he is with David the at the height of his X-Files fame. Sean William Scott at the height of his American Pie fame, and Orlando Jones at the height of his TV commercial fame. And they got Dan Aykroyd to come in, and it's got a good soundtrack. They've got Julianne Moore, who at that time was an up-and-coming star. Um, like, it was supposed to be a Ghostbusters type thing. And the visual effects that are both digital and practical in that movie are awesome. Um, the the monster in the water tank at the golf course that's that's practical um that's not digital like his mastery of those kind of things um was unparalleled and and i love that film and i think that if if it had hit it would have produced more sequels
1: yeah but it didn't hit did it? it was was it a flop
0: i don't think it was a flop i just think it never found an audience i think it made a little bit of money but like I just don't think it ever found an audience. It was one of those films that like hits in the middle of July in the summer. And then you forget about by September. It's just, it's, it stayed with me and stayed with others for years afterwards, just because of the moment in time where we were and like where those actors were. Again, like you're talking about some of the biggest names on the planet at the time.
1: Yeah. I, I don't remember what I thought of it because I've only seen it that one time. And well, I remember Be I, I thought it was kind of nuts, but I don't remember much about it outside of that.
0: The ending of the movie involves pumping cream through the a-hole of an alien and riding a fire truck out of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds wild.
0: It. Uh, what is it? Um, head and shoulders. That's what it is. They had to pump gallons and gallons and gallons of head and shoulders into the, the uh, a-hole of this giant monster in order to keep it from spreading. Wow, yeah, that's, that is something. Indeed, indeed. So, Chad, Warner Brothers continues to green light DC properties. Yay, Warner Brothers.
1: I hate them so much. I, I really...
0: Blender, Chad, you're getting a Blue Beetle project for HBO Max.
1: That is fine, and I, see, but but is it for HBO Max? Because I've heard that it has since moved to Warner Brothers proper and is going to get a theatrical release. We don't know what's going on because Warner Brothers just flies by the seat of their goddamn pants, and this is the freaking Batman. Just, just tell them what what they gonna make.
0: So, um, word hit the uh, word hit the trades today that they have green light. Uh, green lip, a Wonder Twins movie, allegedly for HBO Max.
1: You know who the Wonder Twins are, right?
0: Mm-hmm. This is on the same level of making a Captain Planet movie.
1: No, 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 I can understand that. like i I get that. And to be fair, I've seen people since this was announced, pitch takes for a Wonder Twins movie that would be, you know, entertaining. However, in the grand scheme of what WB is, I hate this. I I don't hate it because of the Wonder Twins themselves. I hate this because if DC slash Warner Brothers was a well-functioning studio in regards to their comic characters. You could have a Wonder Twins movie, but your house would be in order with everything else. Their house is not in order with everything else because they're making a Wonder Twins movie before they even know what the hell they're going to do with Superman. I know I keep harking back on Superman. You know what? Y'all just got to get over it. Superman was the most recon- up until the, the, the late 80s, he was the most recognizable superhero. He is still one of the top five most recognizable superheroes on the planet. And these clowns, can't figure out a way to do him. But they got the audacity to tell me that we can make a Wonder Twins movie. Why should, why should I believe that you're going to... Well, you probably can't get that right because you don't care. The Wonder Twins are a joke. The Wonder Twins have been a, a joke among comic book fans since they were introduced in the Super Friends cartoon in the late 70s, early 80s. They were created just for that cartoon and they have stupid powers. One of them can turn into any material that consists of water, that is water. So they can turn into a puddle of water. They can turn into ice. Uh, They can turn into, I think, water vapor of some sort, some cloud-like thing. Another one can just turn into objects. So you need a bucket to put the water in, there's your guy. They're jokes. So there is a world where you can make a Wonder Twins movie and use that, a play off of that and make it a comedy. But you're going to do that instead of setting your house in order with your biggest movie franchises, your potentially your biggest movie franchise. Superman's not straight. Green Lantern, who the hell knows what's going on with that? You want some interstellar space stuff? You got it right there. Lord, the, I mean... I don't think you can damage the ca- the individual characters enough, but the Justice League name is dirt. You can't do anything with that. So why are you doing my whole thing is why are you making this move? Why are we doing Wonder Twins when nothing else is straight? The only thing you, the only thing they have straight is the Batman. That's again, it's the only thing they understand. Just like you just mentioned Blue Beetle and yes, it was supposed to be HBO Max, but I've also heard it's going to, to, Warner, uh, to Warner proper. Which one is it? Why don't we have this straight? So it's, will this movie happen? If I have to put money on it? Probably not, but it exists to raise my blood pressure because it reminds me that Warner Brothers as a studio in regards to DC properties, overall sucks. They get about thirty percent of it, all right, and the rest, and not so much.
0: This is a situation, Chad, in which um, this is a situation in which we have a Joker two floating around. This is a situation in which we have a Wonder Woman three that we assume will eventually get made with Patty Jenkins. Um, this is a world in which we have an Aquaman two that's done and is in post production and is on track for a December release. This is a world in which we have a Blue Beetle movie that is supposed to be floating out there in the ether. This is a a Supergirl movie that is supposed to be floating out in the ether. We've got now a Wonder Twins movie that's supposed to be floating out in the ether. We have a Green Lantern Corps uh, movie that is floating around in the ether. We have a Flash movie that's done and in the can and is going to move out to theaters this year, and we have a Batman movie that's done and in the middle of... of uh, of press for, for March release which none of us know what the theatrical um, what the critical or theatrical reception is going to be to that film so yeah that's a lot to juggle at once
1: it just it, it just makes
0: and that's just off the top of my head that's like not even an official like thing that's just all the DC projects of Warners that I can think of off the top of my head
1: that, I think you got them all it's just
0: like oh, and a bad girl. Re-
1: you said bad girl, but so Disney Marvel has about that many pro- uh, projects planned out. They probably have more planned out because there are probably things planned out that we don't know about. And it's not that they have all these projects; it's that they know what they're doing. They they have a plan for how it's all going to go again dc's problem is they they just start throwing stuff out there which you know it could be fine if if they were truly just like whatever works we'll just throw it out there but in this climate where they've kind of laid out a semi-plan it just looks like chaos all of it just looks like chaos and it makes them look incompetent and I don't know. That I just it's, it will take a lot for me to think that they are a competent run studio with these characters. The Batman's going to come out, it's going to get a lot of critic love, it's going to make a lot of money, people are going to be fawning over DC again. And and then it'll probably cover up deficiencies on other movies because they have four movies coming out this year. The uh, the little sizzle trailer that they showed us All four look decent to good. However, I can guarantee you not all four of those movies are going to be good. If all four of those movies are good, it'll be the first time in a while that DC has had four, like, released this many movies, and they've all been good. Received critically well and made good to decent money. You've got the Batman, I've already said, that's, like, a done deal. It's probably going to hit a billion now then you have the Flash movie, then you have Black Adam, then you have Aquaman. At least one of those is not going to be good. I would, the way they're hanging everything on the Flash, I would probably put my money on that one being the one that's going to suffer. But we'll see, we'll see. I would say, I hope I'm wrong, but they just keep proving me right. So uh, we'll just see what happens.
0: Indeed, it'll be interesting to see going forward as the Batman, we, I think we have varying degrees on that. I think that Reeves is capable of making a great Batman detective movie, but I also think he's entirely capable of making a movie that is divisive, not quite on a Snyder Cut level of divisive, but divisive amongst fans and critics. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting for me, at least to see what the critical reaction is. To the Batman, aside from you know the calzone, I'm uh, I, I'm also just interested to see what the multiple Batman movie is going to do a year after the multiple Spider-Man movie.
1: So, I think for as far as the Batman goes, I think critically, I think people are going. The critics are going to love it. They're going to absolutely love it because it it, it gives you everything. It's going to enable them to law a comic book movie because that comic book movie is going to feel, because they're grounding it so much, it's going to feel so adult and then they can say, this is an adult comic book movie and it's so different so they're going to love it. The, well, the, now, the question of the general audience I think is going to make his money one way or another. Now when they walk out, well, I think they have the greatest chance of being uh, finding the movie divisive. But it could, it very well could just go over well with everybody. I don't know. I, I, I'm willing to put money on critics absolutely loving it. Uh, the, the whole Flash thing, because Batman's in it, it makes me believe that it's going to make money. I don't know how people are going to like it, though. And it also depends on how they're going to promote it. I would assume that because it's Warner Brothers and they only know how to do one thing, that they're going to push Batman real heavy when they really start marketing this thing. But they're asking this movie to do a lot, just from what we know. Not even the speculations, just what we know. We know that this movie is going to reset whatever timeline they have. That right there is asking a lot of a movie. So will it do too much and then effectively do nothing well? that's my question with that one
0: indeed um flashpoint as it was called when it was originally announced yeah all right so that'll about do it for this week's episode if you want to keep up with this podcast and find a podcast about two guys talking about movies um follow us on twitter i am at bcw tiger fan
1: i'm at the mets theory
0: thank you very much and have a pleasant evening And uh, so, Stunner versus Stunner is gonna sell out uh, AT&T Stadium. That's the idea.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, not not so much that. It's not even Stunner versus Stunner. It's just having Austin back.
0: Yeah, he's been very reluctant to do that because they've approached him more than a few times over the years. And he's always turned him down.
1: Well, it looks like he's thinking, you know, he has one more. If he wants to do one more match, this will be the time before he gets before he really gets too old.
0: Yeah. And just they've got to move 200,000 tickets to sell out both nights. <laughs> it's like That's all this man cares about is how many people and how many ways can I uh, find to increase my potential attendance?
1: I mean, he doesn't have to worry about the money. So I I guess WrestleMania is his big baby and he wants it to look good. And looking good means having crap, filling the arena up. Which I don't think he's gonna fill it up, but it has to at least look good.
0: I mean, I think he'll, uh, I think he'll fill it up if a guy walks across the street from AEW back home.
1: Cody doesn't move that many needles.
0: No, he moves. You're right. He moves needles for the marks. You know who he is now and know how big of a moment that is. Um, you know, it's just. It kind kind of is is weird for you to lose your lead dog, although you have <clears throat> a whole bunch of lead dogs in that organization now, and that might be part of the problem.
1: I I'm ready. We're gonna have to wait to see what the the real story is, but I don't. I I mean that could be the case. I really don't know the all the inner workings of AEW, but to me, it seems like Cody always would. He would always have a spot, like his spot in the pecking order wouldn't move. He's like he's probably going to be more regarded as being like the gatekeeper to the upper mid card title contenders since he's not doing that. Well, since he wasn't doing that in AEW by choice, but you go back to WWE, and yeah, no matter what they tell you, you can always end up back at Stardust opening the show are uh, running around after the, the 24-7 title. If yeah. It, see, if it were me, and I know, I know WWE is coming after me because the appearance is going to give off that I was deeply embedded in the structure of AEW, one of their biggest guys when it started, and I got him to come back to WWE. I know that's what Vince wants, But if I'm Cody, I'm like, okay, I know that's what you want. I know that's what you'll get. But um, I'm, along with all the money you're about to pay me, I'm not going below here. I'll walk away before I let you do that to me. And really, I'll be like, somewhere in this run, I'm getting a strap. That's the only way I'm coming.
0: And see, I think his talents would be more useful. And I could see him chasing after authority and power. And say so in character development, and so he could move to another, another, industry, uh, another uh, promotion um, outside of AEW or WWE. You know, uh, Ring of Honor and Impact are, um, re, you know, kind of uh, recalibrating there. New Japan is always going to be there. So is Lucha Underground. Um, he has other options other than WWE. It's just WWE is the most visible. Um, but I don't think WWE would give him the creative control that he wants over his character. And again, I think he would be risking risking being abused again. All
1: those other things, like creatively, sound good, but uh, he's also not dumb and understands it's time like get money while you can get it. And the biggest, the person that's gonna give him the biggest check is going to be Vince.
0: If Vince considers him worthy of that money, because when he left, Vince did not consider him to even be a mid-card guy. And now he's gone off to this promotion that Vince doesn't even feel his competition to him and made himself a big name. And, you know, if Vince decides he's worthy of that money, because Vince could always decide he's not.
1: Oh, well, Vince is going to pay him to come now what he does with him when he gets there that's the thing he everything you said about he doesn't view AEW as competition cuz he's got his head he's got his head in the sand all that is true but he also realizes like some part of him realizes that getting Cody is a big get because of what he did as the other guys so he will pay him to get him to come just because of the what that the luster of drawing such a an important person away from aew but again once that wears off after like a month it would not be past Vince to try to bury him and Cody if Cody goes Cody has to know that and that's why if I'm Cody I want assurances that the old man whenever he gets a hair up his ass can't just do this to me
0: yeah because he did it to Bill Goldberg and he did it to Scott Steiner
1: yeah, that's just how it's. It's his whole petty thing. It's he he does that to people that like, especially when WCW is around and when ev- all of them came, be- those people were WCW. So he had to put him all of his guys over. So everyone understands that he had the superior guys. He had the superior brand. He has won everything. And after a while, once he done that to them, then they became WWE guys, and then they kind of. Function as normal, but he had to assert his dominance because he is a petty little man.